Good evening. Venezuela and Colombia opened their common border for the first time in years. Hurricane Ian targets Tampa Bay, a success for planetary defense. An Apple whistleblower speaks, and Tucker Carlson says goodbye to a Hell's Angel. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Drienzo with the news for Monday, September 26, 2022. On Monday, Colombia and Venezuela officially reopened their common land border through a ceremony that included Colombian President Gustavo Petro and the governor of the Venezuelan state of Tachira. The ceremony began with the national anthems of both countries on the Simon Boulevard Bridge, where the first cargo trucks pass in both directions, festooned with the flags of both countries. The Colombian president says the opening of the border was for the people. Today there is an automatic recovery for transient a few days ago for those who go in vehicles. Now and is to completely legalize the cultural flows of population and economic. That should result in a qualitative jump in human rights throughout the Colombian-Venezuelan border. We will measure it, we will evaluate it publicly that should result in an increase in the quality of life. He was followed by Venezuela's Minister of Transportation, Ramon Velasquez, who says the border should never again be closed. From the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, headed by our worker president, Nicolás Maduro, we are very happy for the opening and we wish that this opening never again has the intention of closing that this opening between brotherly peoples is permanent, that the border is an imaginary line. Those were the dreams and are the dreams of our liberators. And we on this side of history have to support that dream of our liberators and give continuity to the integration, to the brotherhood between peoples. The border was closed in 2019 after the Colombian government tried to deliver truckloads of aid to the Venezuelan opposition. The reopening was a key campaign promise of left-wing Colombian President Gustavo Petro, who took office last month. Both countries then resumed diplomatic relations. The United States had invoked the Rio Treaty, a regional defense pact in 2019, against the government of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. The United States claimed the election that year was rigged. Although the United States and United Kingdom still recognize the opposition candidate Juan Guaido as the legitimate leader of Venezuela, the European Union's 27 countries continue to support Maduro. And Hurricane Ian clipped the western tip of Cuba as its winds reached 100 miles per hour, making it a powerful Category 2 storm. Spanning 500 miles, the monster storm is heading north by northeast and is expected to make landfall north of Tampa, Florida. Nearly 27,000 people were evacuated from the Isle of Youth and other towns in Cuba, with areas of western Florida under hurricane warnings from the Everglades to Tampa Bay. National Hurricane Center Director Jamie Rome. As of 5 p.m., the maximum sustained winds are now up to 100 miles per hour, which makes it a Category 2 hurricane on the Saffir-Simpson scale. You can see the satellite imagery is really starting to build out and get impressive, indicative of a storm that is still strengthening as it moves off towards the western tip of Cuba. Also, the movement now north-northwest versus northwest, which so is starting to make the turn that we've been talking about more towards the north. So the hurricane warning is now in effect from Inglewood to Ancloak River, including Tampa Bay and the Dry Tortugas. 
the hurricane warning remains in effect for the western tip of Cuba. The warning is different from a watch. That means conditions are expected generally within 36 hours. The other changes with respect to storm surge. Portions of the storm surge watch area have also been upgraded to a storm surge warning. Remember, warning means conditions expected somewhere within the warning area. So this area here that is in brighter pink, which is the Anclote River southward to Flamingo, including Tampa Bay are now under a storm surge warning. It's quite possible for portions of the west coast of Florida, very, very vulnerable to storm surge owing to uh, how shallow the shelf waters are out here in the eastern Gulf of Mexico. Yellow areas are indicative of, of surge up to six feet, uh, so specifically two to four in the Keys, three to five over southwest portions of Florida, four to seven for Charlotte Harbor, five to eight in and around Inglewood, and then topping out indicating a peak surge potential of 10 feet in Tampa Bay. And remember, I'm six feet tall. That's four feet over my head. The potential exists. The, um, it, the, we also added a storm surge watch. This is a new addition for northeastern Florida, including the St. John's River. On Tuesday, Ian is expected to move into the Gulf of Mexico, crawl west of the Florida Keys later on Tuesday, and then approach the west coast of Florida on Wednesday. Data shows hurricanes have become stronger worldwide, possibly due to climate change. After a quiet start to the hurricane season in the Western Hemisphere this year, the storms are coming fast and furious. Ian is the ninth named hurricane of the year. And the massive flooding that's put a third of Pakistan underwater is also being credited to the effects of climate change, even as the storm toll on the country is rising. Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif says four million acres of crops were washed away. Today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken promised a further $10 million in aid. But the fact is, a third of the country remains underwater after the historic and catastrophic storms. Uh, about 33 million people uh, are affected. Farmers whose entire harvests have been literally submerged. Families whose homes have been washed away. Children whose schools have been ravaged. That has an immediate impact, but unless we're able together to deal with the challenge, it will have uh, a long-term impact as well. So we have a sense of urgency, but we also have a sense of determination. The storm killed 1,600 people and cost $30 billion. Now the effect on agriculture is being felt. 15% of the rice crop is gone and 40% of the cotton as well. And further from home, a boulder-encrusted asteroid as big as a 50-story building was a target of a NASA probe called DART for double asteroid redirection test. Starting to see those individual boulders there. You can see shadows of the various rocks on the surface. Looks to me like we're headed straight in. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Eight, yeah. seven, oh, six, wow. five, four, three, two, one. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Awaiting visual confirmation. We got it? Waiting. Waiting. And we have impact. A giant leap for humanity in the name of planetary defense. Woo. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic.
Flying safely past the Earth 7 million miles away, the asteroid Dimorphos, Greek for twin, orbits another half-mile wide asteroid. It was the subject of the test of a planetary defense system that might be used in the future to deflect a possible planet-killing asteroid heading for the Earth. A 110-mile-wide asteroid hit the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, what's today Mexico anyway, 68 million years ago, and is credited with wiping out the dinosaurs. A 200-foot-wide asteroid is believed to have hit an uninhabited part of Siberia in 1908, flattening 80 million trees over 800 square miles, an area two and a half times the size of New York City. DART mission engineer Dr. Elena Adams explains what happens next now that the $325 million robotic suicide mission is complete. Planetary defense is really an international issue. We are all on this planet together, right? Yeah. And, so, and I think it's been so great for this mission to really support and embrace that planetary, def planetary uh, interna international cooperation for planetary defense so that we can maximize what we learn. And... Uh, this idea came about from international scientists talking to each other, mm -hmm. working together, you know, in order to make this moment happen for NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office, building the spacecraft here at APL. Um, but really, uh, scientists around the world are ready to get studied. Um, what did we do to Dimorphos? Mm -hmm. and, but more importantly, what does that mean for potentially applying this in the future? I mean, DART really is just the start. It's just the first planetary defense test mission. It was spectacular and it's accomplished and we'll figure out how effective it was. That's really what we're going to learn in the next weeks to come. Scientists say it'll be about another two months before data starts rolling in. The purpose to see if a small impact can deflect an asteroid is struck early enough. It's expected that Dimorphos will be forced into a slightly closer orbit to its larger twin, providing data on just how to move an asteroid. Several disaster movies have depicted a desperate race to save humanity where the asteroid is blown up, but experts say that method would turn an asteroid into a shower of deadly fragments that would be just as destructive to the Earth. In national news, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, is launching a new office focused on civil rights in an effort to take on environmental challenges in historically underserved communities. The creation of the Office of Environmental Justice and External Civil Rights was announced on Saturday by EPA Administrator Michael Regan in Warren County, North Carolina. Warren County is the location of 1982 protests against a landfill that were seen as a spark behind the environmental justice movement. As part of the new office, 200 staffers will work towards solving environmental issues in underserved communities. In more environmental news, the United States Department of Labor has launched an investigation into Apple in response to a whistleblower's concern about the tech giant. Former Apple employee Ashley Jovic raised concerns to the company last year about environmental and health safety issues at the Sunnyvale, California-based office. Jovic tells the news her problems with Apple began when she discovered its Silicon Valley facilities were built on a Superfund site that once housed a major defense contractor, a company that has a representative on the Apple board of directors. Silicon Valley today is one of the most polluted areas in the entire country. Uh, it has the most of these federal Superfund sites, the oversight for toxic waste of uh, any county in the entire country. It has the most. Apple never disclosed any of this to us. And when I moved into that office, that was when I was working in hardware, so I moved there like 2017, one of my colleagues had warned me. She was like, so do you know that's a Superfund site? And I had never heard that term before, didn't know anything about it. And she had to explain to me that it was this like toxic waste cleanup site. And I remember just thinking, like, that doesn't sound great, but I don't know what to do with that, so I'm just going to, like, stuff that in the back of my head.
and assume Apple's doing the right thing. And I did not learn the hard way in, about how dangerous these sites can be until I got really sick in 2020 when I moved into a brand new apartment and I just started fainting and having heart issues. I got really, really sick and doctors couldn't figure out why. Come to find out it was built on a bunch of hazardous waste. So I learned that's a thing in Silicon Valley that actually happens somewhat frequently of people get sick from this exposure and they often don't disclose it until you know the person finds out later and was like, hey, that's probably related. They're dumping high-tech chemicals nobody really knows anything about. And they don't know how they interact with each other, and they don't know how they interact when they're exposed to people over long-term periods of time. This is some of the most concerning stuff. What exactly is going on here? They start asking a lot of questions. And for the chemicals, you know, I'm like, Apple, how do you, uh, why don't you warn us that we're being exposed to these chemicals? And they're like, well, we're not legally obligated to because we haven't been testing, so there's no evidence you're being exposed to them. But I'm like, but it sounds like we could. And they're like, until we are legally required to, we won't tell you. And that's what it comes down to, this whole dynamic, you know, which is completely contrary to the polluter pays principle, which is the general international law, right? If you make a mess, you need to pay to clean it up and you need to make sure people are safe. Who is responsible for the cleanup? Are they trying to stick the former companies that are out of business now? So, for instance, the uh, company that did the polluting under my office, you may be aware of, they're called Northrop Grundman. Mm Mm-hmm. So for those that don't know, that's similar to like Lockheed Martin. They build missiles, defense stuff. They've been around for a long time. They're a very, very wealthy defense contractor. What, how, what was the reaction yeah. of, the, of your employers to what happened and where did that lead you? Apple was not happy immediately of me even telling you know the management team that we were on a super fun site. They told me not to talk about my safety concerns, to not talk to my colleagues about the site, to not tell anyone else that it was a super fun site. And that's clearly illegal. Like you can't. <laughs> you can't say that to your employees. Uh, don't talk about safety concerns. Uh, so I started pushing back of like, hey, you know, labor laws, pretty basic ones. You can't say that. They get even more upset. And it just it turns into a cascade of months of retaliation of uh, all sorts of stuff from harassment and hostility to giving my projects away. Like stuff I was supposedly in charge of. One of my bosses just started giving away to random other people. Well, he had told me that I should just quit Apple end of April. I wasn't fired till September. So he was apparently giving away my projects in in preparation for them trying to fire me. How did Uh, the firing uh, drama occur? They discovered there's cracks in the floor of our office, too. Things really got hot then. Because then I'm like, hey, you need to test the air before you fix the cracks, because that's how vapor intrusion occurs. They're like, absolutely not. And don't tell anyone about the cracks. All of a sudden, I find myself suspended. I'm at that point expecting to get fired. So I filed a bunch of complaints with NLRB, Department of Labor. The Northrop Grumman thing was interesting because the previous CEO of Northrop Grumman's on the board of directors at Apple. And then they just fire me one random day. This like interrogator I'd never talked to reaches out from Apple's workplace violence team and insists I get on the phone with them within like the hour. And this is a day before uh, a federal affidavit with the NLRB and I complain an email of witness intimidation and ask if it can be kept an email. Then they just fire me. Where are things right now? I have open uh, USNLRB charges, U.S. Department of Labor whistleblower protection program cases, California Department of Labor cases. I've been facing a lot of weird corruption and conflicts of interest and peculiar behavior from a lot of these agencies. There is a lot of corruption with Apple. They have a lot of reach within the federal government, and I'm trying to expose that too. And hopefully other employees will have an easier time reporting misconduct. 
former Apple manager Ashley Jovic. Her complaint is part of a flood of complaints claiming all kinds of toxic working conditions at a company once known for its relaxed work culture. More than 500 current and former Apple employees submitted accounts of misconduct including verbal abuse, sexual harassment, retaliation, and discrimination. And in the Ukraine war, a young man shot and critically wounded a Russian military officer at an enlistment center in the Siberian city of Ust-Ilimsk on Monday. <laughs> 25-year-old local resident Ruslan Zinin walked into the office where Russia was inducting reserve troops called up to the war in Ukraine, saying, no one will go fight and we will all go home now. Zinin was arrested. The military commander was hospitalized in intensive care. Thousands of young Russians have been flocking to airports and border crossings to avoid the draft, and arson attacks against recruitment centers are increasing. In related news, voting in the Russian-occupied Donbass region of Ukraine continues today in a referendum organized by Russia, widely expected to lead to annexation of the territory. Meanwhile, a gunman opened fire in a school in central Russia, killing at least 17 people and wounding 24 others before shooting himself dead. Authorities say the shooter was a former student and was wearing a black shirt bearing what they called Nazi symbols. The gun was a non-lethal weapon adapted to fire real bullets. Russia has had a spate of mass shootings at schools and army bases, often linked to hazing or bullying. And last week, Russian President Vladimir Putin threatened to use nuclear weapons in the conflict in Ukraine, adding, I'm not bluffing. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Sunday promised severe consequences if Russia made good on the threat to use nukes. Let me say it plainly. If Russia crosses this line, there will be catastrophic consequences for Russia. The United States will respond decisively. Now, in private channels, we have spelled out in greater detail exactly what that would mean. But we want to be able to have the credibility of speaking directly to senior leadership in Russia and laying out for them what the consequences would be without getting into a rhetorical tit-for-tat publicly. But we will not hesitate in saying publicly that there will be catastrophic consequences for Russia You've used if that they word choose twice. to proceed, and the United States and our allies yeah. will respond decisively. You've used that word catastrophic just now twice. I, uh, I assume you will not give more definition to that, but should Putin uh, use the definition of his imagination there, catastrophic is just that, as bad as he could imagine? Well, Russia understands very well what the United States would do in response to the use of nuclear weapons in Ukraine because we have spelled it out for them. And I will leave it at that today. Mm -hmm. But as far as the question of deterrence is concerned, you know, Russia will make its decisions, but it will do so fully understanding right. that the United States will respond decisively. And from our perspective, we will continue to be sharp and clear with them. Uh, so that there is no mistake about where things stand from our perspective. In New York City, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov addressed the United Nations General Assembly. He said the West wants to remove Russia. What they want to do is to remove from the global map a geopolitical entity which has become 
all too independent. So how have Russia in the recent decades been infringing on the interests of our opponents? Is it that we cannot be forgiven for making possible the uh, military and strategic detente in 1980s and 1990s because of my country's position? Or is it that we voluntarily dissolved the Warsaw Treaty Organization and thus removed the uh, reason for NATO's being? Did we infringe on the interests of the West when we warned them that it was unacceptable to bring closer a threatening military infrastructure, bring it closer to our borders. The arrogance of the West, of the West, American exclusivity, have become particularly destructive after the end of the Cold War. And the foreign minister went on to compare United States policy in Ukraine to the Monroe Doctrine, a 19th century U.S. policy claiming the entire Western Hemisphere is off limits to foreign powers. Clearly, the notorious Monroe Doctrine is becoming global in scope. Washington is trying to turn the entire world in its own, into its own backyard. And the way of doing this is through unlawful unilateral sanctions, which have been for many years used in violation of the Charter and used as a tool of political blackmail. The cynicism here is obvious because these restrictions hit civilians. They prevent them from uh, getting access to basic goods, including medication, vaccines, and food. An egregious example we have here is um, the American blockade of Cuba, more than 60 years old. The General Assembly has been for a long time and insistently demanding that it be immediately lifted, and this is being done by the absolute majority of voices. In related news, President Putin and Belarus President Alexander Lukashenko held an unannounced meeting and said they were ready to cooperate with the West if, Putin added, they treat us with respect. In more news from rising international challenges to U.S. hegemony, on Saturday, China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi warned world leaders about interference on Taiwan, telling the United Nations that Beijing would take forceful steps to prevent support of the island's independence. China will continue to work for peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerity and efforts. To realize this goal, we must combat Taiwan independence separatist activities with the firmest resolve and take the most forceful steps to repulse external interference. Only by resolutely forestalling separatist activities can we forge a true foundation for peaceful reunification. Only when China is completely reunified can there be enduring peace across the Taiwan Strait. Any scheme to interfere in China's internal affairs is bound to meet the strong opposition of all Chinese, and any move to obstruct China's reunification is bound to be crushed by the wheels of history. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi, a recent visit by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, to Taiwan significantly escalated tensions between Washington and Beijing. And finally, the right-wing Fox News host Tucker Carlson spoke at the funeral of Ralph Sonny Barger, the longtime president of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club in Stockton, California on Saturday. Carlson, the scion of the Swanson Frozen Dinner Empire, attended a private school in Rhode Island and Trinity College, a liberal arts college in Hartford, Connecticut. In his speech, Tucker Carlson read from a letter written by Sonny Barger. And the letter, if I can just summarize it for memory, was always stand tall, stay loyal, ah, 
which may be emotional reading it, stay loyal, remain free, and always value honor. Stand tall, stay loyal, remain free, and always value honor. And I thought to myself, if there is a phrase that sums up more perfectly what I want to be, what I aspire to be, and the kind of man I respect, I can't think of a phrase that sums it up more perfectly than that. And, and I thought, that came from Sonny Barger, the famous outlaw biker. Barger did prison time for drug dealing and referred to the Angels as a fun-loving bunch of guys. Tucker Carlson has often been labeled a bully for his attacks on people he doesn't agree with. In an interview with this reporter on the publication of his autobiography, Hell's Angel, The Life and Times of Sonny Barger, I asked Barger if Hell's Angels were bullies. He responded, without doubt, some angels are. You know, I don't care what anybody says. You have to be semi-aggressive, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like being out there and being a bully and just jumping on everybody because you want to do it or because you're able to do it, but you can't lay down when people, you know, come on to you. You have to stand up for your rights, too. What's the difference between a legitimately standing up for your rights and a bully? How do you know the difference? Well, sometimes it's sort of hard to figure out because, you know, we end up in, in our organization getting a bully every now and again, too. But standing up for your rights is when somebody is trying to take away from you what's yours or trying to hurt what's yours and you stand up and defend yourself against it and being a bully is the guy that's doing that. Barger died in June at age 83. He was a tough guy who told this reporter, I've been shot, stabbed, and put in prison and had throat cancer, but I survived it all. And that's some of the news for Monday, September 26th, 2022. The news was produced, written, and anchored by me, Paul DiRienzo. You can get the news at paulderienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.